You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Matthew chapter 6. Verse? Ready? Read. Now, if you were wondering what was going on there with this congregation, maybe you knew. If you are, I encourage you to catch up with the last two, three, four weeks. We have been talking about things that are first, things that are important. God gave us a directive as we entered into this year that we need to set our priorities right. It's very easy for priorities to get distracted. And what usually happens is we know that if we're not attentive to the Word, attentive to what God's called us to do, that the enemy can start creating distractions, chaos, things that go wrong. How many of you noticed when you got saved, the enemy did not give up on you? You think, oh, well, I've lost him now. I may as well move to the next one. No, that's actually when he starts to intensify his attack. Why? Because Jesus said, when the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal that word. Why? It's the implanted word that is received in the heart, that by hearing and hearing and hearing that word, faith rises. And without that faith, it's impossible to please God. And he clarifies what that means. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the spirit of faith is having believed I speak. How many of you noticed the first time you heard a word of God, you might have thought, well, I don't know about that. But then the more you heard it, you went, hang on, that, that, that make, that, that's, that's starting to cause something to happen inside of you. That's the truth. And then the more you heard it, but have you noticed it didn't always change your action. It didn't always change your words. But over time, as you hear the word over and over and over, eventually faith rises. You go, hang on, this is God's promise for me. And then it adjusted your actions, it adjusted your speech, it adjusted the way you respond to people, the way you respond to God. Now that place, when you're in that place of action, you're going to start seeing things happening according to God's Word. And the enemy can't have that. He's going to try and get you out of that. So what does he do? The very things you're believing for is try and cause problems in that area. Try and distract us. He's tried that right at the beginning with Adam. Right in the beginning. Did God tell you? Are you sure he's given you everything? Is there not something he's holding back from you? And the whole idea with that is to distract us and start to look at the object, the tree, instead of the creator of that tree. And when you adjust your affection that's when the enemy can get in and cause destruction. And so Jesus in the word is very plain. When he died and gave you uh, eternal life by having paid the full price, rose from the dead, went to sit on high at the right hand of the Father, he said very plainly that God so loved the world that, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So it begins with everlasting life. But in that redemption came your healing came your provision, came your protection. That's God's desire for you, to enjoy everything that He intended for you to enjoy. 
But when our affection moves from our initial first love to the things that are starting to happen, the blessings and the things that are coming into my life, and, and when it starts to look like I'm struggling to get there, now it becomes pursuit of the stuff and the things. That can very easily, you can be serving God, singing songs, coming to church, going through the motions, but really it's so that I can get that. And that is exactly where the enemy can get his foot in and then start to cause destruction. And I've seen many, many people backslide as a result of that because they come, they say, I heard what you said, I tried it, but it didn't work. Uh, you know, uh, and, and they're out of here. Now, hang on, that means you're, that was an idol. You created an idol and you try to worship the idol and the idol didn't respond. Idols don't respond. It's dead wood, it's gold, it's a statue, it's a, it could be the job, it could be the car, it could be the house. You call it what you want. Anything that has not got your affection, when you, whenever affection moves from God to something else, that something else is the idol. And an idol will never give you the satisfaction that you have when you're serving God. So it's easy to walk away from an idol. And so God's calling us back. Hang on. Get back to your first love. Get back to that which is priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. These other things will come. That'll happen. But make sure your priority is in the right place. In other words, slay your idols. Get those things out of our lives. Let's refocus and get back to the original. Seek first. Everybody say first. And so God is our priority more than ever before. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's understanding that the kingdom is not just getting to heaven one day. It's God's whole system, how he set everything up. And if you understand his kingdom, priorities become very easy. If you understand the reason for doing things, it becomes very easy and you're able to walk more powerfully in it. And so we've been having a look at the various things that God considered first. God considered things of priority. When we talk about eternal life, remember John chapter 17, Jesus was praying to the Father and he said, this is eternal life that they may know you, that they may know you. Say this, that is eternal life, that they may know you. John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you. And then come down to verse 5, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So, yeah, we see Jesus. We've taken a long time to go through these various scriptures, but I just wanted to focus on this verse for now. Notice, Jesus says to the Father, I've glorified you. Now glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was with the Father before the world was. Say that. Jesus was with the Father before the world was. Now, that eternal life, remember we introduced ourselves to the fact that God is everlasting. The, we looked at the name of God in Genesis chapter 12, verse 33, when Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Everybody say, everlasting God. That everlasting God we saw as the word El Olam. 
El Olam. Everybody say El Olam. El Olam. Now, for those that weren't here, just quickly, El Olam is Strong's number 5769. It means to be concealed. It's the vanishing point. Generally, time out of mind, past or future, that is practically eternity. And when I read that definition, I thought that's exactly what God is teaching us while we're considering the fourth dimension. When we say fourth dimension, what are we talking about? The eternal, the invisible, the spirit realm. Everybody understands the spirit realm. And so when I use the term fourth dimension, don't get all weird on us, but it's, it's just the fact that there is, God is spirit. And there's a whole spirit world out there. It's not some, you know, figment of the imagination. It's a very real place. People live there. Angels are tangible. Those angels would manifest through the, the Old Testament. You can see very often an angel would show up to someone and sit and have a meal with a person. It weren't just like a ghostly image that the food kind of you could see float in them. No, they, were, you, they shook hands, but it was an angel. And then they'd look again and he was gone. He was able to move in and out of those realms. And so when we talk about the vanishing point, that's what we're talking about. This God who's eternal, in other words, past, future, present, are intertwined. It's, it's, there, there's no concept of being able to put that together. And we've already had a look at that in detail, that time is in fact a created entity. It's a created thing. But God operates outside of that. Now you do understand that with God there's still process. But it's, it's in a dimension that we don't understand, where God can visit the future and then still be in the past and be in all of them at the same time. Now, the natural mind goes, blink, you know, hang on, what are you talking about? And that's where faith comes in. That's why this is more than logical argument. See, faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things. Not that don't exist, it's just that we don't see it and we don't always perceive it. That's why the word says, mind has not conceived the things that God has for us, but the Spirit reveals them to us. So now we're talking about this everlasting God that, that has always existed. And I, as I said, we already looked at it, but you, when people say, but then if all of this that is created, well, then who created God? Well, you'd have to keep pushing that question because whoever created God, then who created that? And who created that? That You see, we're still thinking in three dimensions. But when you say in the beginning, that's when the natural began. But the God that created it, there was no beginning. He always is God. I said he always is God. See Psalm 90 verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Listen to verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth or Ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from Olam to Olam, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, when, when, when the revelation of that verse hit me, my, my mind, I just had to check my mind out. Just, just, you, there's no ways you're going to be able to conceive. I mean, eternity is, is difficult enough to conceive. With a mind that can only think in terms of 70, 80, 90, 100, maybe 120 years. But how do you think of eternity in terms of years? You don't. It just is. Now, so there's an eternity. So there's no beginning, no end. But yeah, God has existed from eternity to eternity. 
Oh, so there's more than one eternity. Don't, 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 don't get lost now. Because don't even try and understand it. Because it just is eternal. So he has a God who lives beyond what we could ever even conceive to be eternity. He always is and always was and always will be. Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus praise if you're getting a hold of this. So it's with that concept, the everlasting God, let's have a look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Well, that's how the word starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, right there, we have to make an adjustment because when I grew up, I always thought of the Word of God as a printed book. You know, you use the word Bible, Word of God interchangeably. That big book you have on your lap, we said that's the Word of God. Now, that is true, but it's a recording. It is a recording. Notice yeah, the Word of God is not a printed page. Because you could go, in the beginning was the Word. Well, the Bible was there in the beginning. And the Word was with God. Well, obviously the Father must have had His Bible with Him. <laughs> but the Word was God. Oh, hang on now. Now, now, we're not talking Bible anymore. A printed book. This word was God, and how many you know God is a person? So now we find out in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. There's two people here. Now, Alan's with Alan, and Alan was Alan. That doesn't work, does it? Well, of course you're with yourself always. No, no. Yeah, we see the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, I don't have time to start teaching on the Trinity, but you can see it revealed right in the beginning. In the beginning, when God said, let us make man in our image. That word used, then God said, is the Hebrew word Elohim. Now, if you studied Hebrew, you'd find out Elohim is a plural word. So we don't say gods because there's only one God. So God is one entity as three people. So just accept that now. I can teach it. I have taught it many times before, but I need to get to what we're doing this morning. You know, in this Godhead is the Father. In the beginning was God. God created and in the beginning was the Word with God, and that Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now listen to this. All things were made through Him. All things were made through this Word. So in the beginning, God created the Father created, but how did He do it? Through the Word. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. That tells me God was not made. 
They are things that were made. And whatever was made was made through Jesus. That tells me, because he says everything that was made, that was made, was made through him. But if everything that was made was made through him, he was not made. Come on. Are you getting what the word is teaching us? So your Jesus has always existed. Everything that was made, that was made, without him, nothing was made. So even Jesus himself was not made. There are some religions that say Jesus was created by the Father. And that would be inaccurate because that would violate that scripture. So everything, nothing was made that was made. See, in him, in this word, was life. And that life was the light of man. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. See, if someone's not born again, everything I just said now was just... I know when I first got saved, I mean, before I got saved, I wanted to, I, I mean, I, with all good intention, I wanted to understand. I, I knew there must be something out there. I was disappointed by religion, but I knew there was a God. Something in me just said there has to be. And so I, on my own intention, without you know, trying to f find anything in particular, I took the Bible and said, well, let me read it. And I started reading it. But it was just words. It, it just fell on the ears. Why? Because my spirit was dead. Are you with me? I wasn't connected to life. But the moment someone presented the gospel with the anointing, that penetrated and I heard the truth. And when I said, I believe, my spirit was born again and that light entered into me. And all of a sudden, I opened up the scripture and what used to just be one verse, I would read it and boom, a whole lifetime of revelation would just download in a second. Come on, have you understand what I'm talking about? So family, don't get concerned. We're not trying to debate people into the kingdom. You cannot try and debate, yeah, but your Bible says and your God did and why did he do this in the Old Testament? And that, that, that's all irrelevant. You know, we can sit and talk about whether Adam had a belly button or not, and you know, whether the dinosaurs lived with him, and you know, and those are all things that are fun to learn later. The most important thing to understand that when you're talking to someone who's not saved is they cannot see why you go to church. Why would you go sit there and listen to some man and, and, then, and then they go do all these other things and whatever's and my life's just fine. Thank you. You're right. You're dying and going to hell and you think your life is fine. But you cannot lead people to the word with anger, turn or burn, God's going to get you, you know. Who wants to serve a God like that? No, it's introducing the light. You don't, you don't get rid of darkness by telling people they're in the dark. You have to bring the light in. The word is that light. Jesus is that light. That word, verse 14, became flesh. We're talking about the person of Jesus. Before he was ever called Jesus, he was always the word. And he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. See, Jesus had glory before He left the Father. He came into the earth and He says, Now return me to that glory. That tells me in that time He was on the earth, He chose to enter the earth as a man. You've seen that. So we'll look at that at another time. What we need to do is look in detail now. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Everybody say, in the beginning, beginning. Jesus. Verse 1. God, this would now be talking about the Father, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, how? By His Son, who we've now identified as the Word. God speaks to us by His Word. Say that God speaks to me by His Word. So you understand that your Bible that you have is a recording of the Word of God. So if (laughs) I just this week, we had to go, Janine and I had to do a whole bunch of things with our bank. Something happened and we had to sort it out. It's like I could do nothing else this week except on phone calls. And then you phone and you wait and you phone. Why? Because they want to speak to me personally. And they want to talk to you personally. And they get you on the phone and then they ask you 30 questions. Do you have? Don't you have? Are you, have? are you banking with this one? Do you own property? And you go, yes, no, no, yes, no. And they said, you failed. How can I fail my own test? <laughs> so, well, sir, you, you're going to have to come in. You're gonna, you see, what do they want? They want to know they're talking to the right person. But you notice that when you say you are who you are, they check identity, they check your documents, they check that you know what you, who you are. They identify who you are. Once you, they know who you are, from that moment, once they say, okay, we're happy you are Alan Bag," from that moment on, they'll do anything you say. So God, when He says, I am God, this is my way, He first identifies who He is. Then he proves who he is. And from that moment on, everything that he says is who he says. Now, if I write something down and I sign it with my signature, I've left my signature at the bank. From that moment on, they send a form through and they sign this and you sign and send it back. Now they're happy. They'll do the instruction. Why? Because the written word is as acceptable as my spoken word. So God spoke through time to the prophets who then recorded God's Word, endorsed it, and then sends Jesus into the earth to say, can you see all of this? That's me. He's now shown up at at the branch. You want to know if this is me? Here I am. This is me. Have I not said? Is it not written? Now, let me show you. I said, watch. Boom. Now it works. You see this? Watch. Boom. There it works. Can you see? Me. Now that he's identified this document is me, he goes and he signs it with his blood. Not just a hand signature. 
a blood covenant. And he signs it that he endorses from now on, this is me. When you read this book, you're not reading a written page. You're not reading some old document, some old parchment that you think some shepherd in a desert somewhere wrote. That was me speaking to them. That's my written document. I have come to endorse it and I die to settle it forever. This is my word. You can take this documented page and read it as if though he's talking to you face to face. He is that living word. Come on, give Jesus praise if you can get a hold of that. Verse two, he's in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. So that's confirming what John said. Verse three, being the brightness of God's glory, the Father's glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things, how? By the word of his power. By the? That's an interesting use of wording. It doesn't say he upholds all things by his power of his word. It's by the word of his power. How is God's power released? By word. Why? He is the word. He is the word. He is the word. You've got to get a hold of this. When you hear he is the word, don't hear he is the Bible. The word when God speaks, that word that he has spoken, one word from God does not just contain some part of his power. Every word he ever releases contains all his power. And everything that he created was by word. In the beginning, God said, and it was. You read through Genesis, he said, and it was. Let it be, and it was. He spoke, and it became. Now, everything that exists is functioning and operating and continues to operate in that power. And it's still upheld. That word is eternal. It's not like Jesus going, you know, now he creates something. Let's say, for example, tree B. Now, tree keep being. Tree keep being. B tree, don't die now. Tree B. Tree B. No, no. The word that he spoke, light B. He can release it and never look back again. And that light is operating for eternity until he says, no more. Once God has spoken, it is perpetual. That word is ever living. There's so much power in God's word that when it's released, it doesn't peter out. Come on, you've got to get a hold of this. So he's upholding all things. Everything exists by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now we know he's talking to Jesus, yeah, because you come down to verse 8, but to the Son, he says, You, Lord, verse 10, this is the Father addressing Jesus. You, Lord, in the beginning, 
When? In the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Who laid the foundation of the earth? Jesus, the Word. The Father saying it. He's talking to the Son. You in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not fail. Notice, everything that was made can fail. That's what God's saying. Everything that was made will fail. But you will never fail. Say this, Jesus is Olam, eternal. Can you see that? Colossians chapter 1. Remember he said he's the express image of the Father? Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image, speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That's that Olam, beyond perception, natural perception. You are the firstborn of all creation. Now that's an interesting term. You are the firstborn. Well, we've just identified that Jesus has always existed. He was not made. Well, how does this firstborn come into action then? You are the firstborn over all creation. For by him, this is Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So everything that ever existed, including the devil himself, was created. Now someone may say, why did God create the devil? Now don't get me sidetracked now, because I've got something I need to get to. But he was created as Lucifer. He was the morning star. He was an angel that carried light. He was given the privilege of carrying the anointing. Then iniquity was found in his heart. He got twisted. And then he decided, I will be like God. Hang on, you, you are a created entity. And in that instant, he was booted out of heaven. And he became the fallen creature. Now he wants to tell the world he's in charge and he's God. He was created. Next time the devil tries to distract you, you go, hang on, I'm serving the eternal God, not some created thing. Amen. So all things that were created were created through him and for him, Jesus. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him all and that in that in all things he may have the preeminence. Everybody say preeminence. What does that mean? Preeminence means first. 
That's, that's its foundation first. It's the authority, it's the establishment, it is the thing that's above all else. So how many of you know that when you and I sinned, we died spiritually? The Bible says that we were dead in our sins. It doesn't mean our bodies were dead. We have to understand that we are spirit beings who live within a body. Your physical body will continue existing till it's finished its time on this earth. The spirit that lives within it, without the presence of God, is dead. Why? We saw in John chapter 1, in him was the life. Life, as God defines it, is not the beating of the heart and the breathing of the lungs. Life is him. He is life. He is life. So when Adam was created, he had that life in him. But when he served the idol, that relationship was broken and the Spirit of God departed. And in that departation of life, there's no longer life in him. That's called death. So now he's a spiritually dead creature who now is breathing and walking. But God sent Jesus to come and die for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He had to be born into the earth. He had to come as a man. Man had sinned. Man had to get it back. So he enters into the earth as a man. Now he doesn't stop being God. He's always God. But to walk as a man, he has to humble himself and stop with the full power and the glory as God. He empties himself of that. He is now in the earth as a man. And Acts chapter 10 verse 38 bears that out, how the Spirit of God, he was anointed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the man with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who sick and pressed of the devil for God was with him. Not because he was God. Now he is God. You, you can't stop being God. But what he's doing in the earth, he's walking in the authority of Adam. The Bible calls him the last Adam. And as that last Adam, he was confronted with every sin but he did what the first Adam had failed to do. He proved you can overcome sin by resisting it on the basis of the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. He was tempted in all things, yet without sin. So Jesus never sinned. So how is he going to pay the price for sin? Well, the Bible says that when he was crucified, 1 Corinthians tells us that he who knew no sin, never committed any sin, was made sin. What's that mean? The moment he died on that cross, everything that was sin, God treated Jesus as if he had sinned. Now, he never did sin. But he looked at him. In other words, he looked at him as if he was you. As if he was me. All the sin that ever committed, he was made that sin. And in that sin, 
God had to do what he did with the first Adam. Depart. And in that moment of departure, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced what it is to no longer have that life present in him. And that life no longer present in him means that he had now had life leave him. What's the result? That's what we call death. Now, I know a lot of people struggle with that because they say, how can God die? No, it's not death as in stop from existence. It's the fact that the Father can no longer fellowship with sin. So that is death. But he had this plan in place because the moment that had been paid for and the Father was satisfied, all sin is now paid for. I judge this creature, this person, as if though they were Alan and they were Bob, John, John Mary, Michael, James. I'm not going to name everybody here because every, every single human that ever existed. He judges that person as if though you were on that cross and that sin is judged, paid for, in full. And when the father was satisfied... Every sin that has ever existed, ever can exist, sin itself, was paid for. Hebrews chapter 1 kicks into action. And he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the Holy Spirit is released from heaven and enters into Jesus. And the life of God is returned into him. And in that moment, he is born back his life has re-entered him. And now he is the firstborn. Firstborn. Why, why don't they just say the born or the only begotten? Because he's no longer the only begotten. First, if you say anybody's first, you know there's a second. You know, one man runs a race and he finishes, I, I, I won. Yeah, right. How fast did you run? You could have walked the thing and still won. You came first, who came second? No, there wasn't anyone else. <laughs> You're not first until you have a second. So he is the firstborn. He's the first one to enter, to have, to have experienced the payment for sin, having died, and now he's born again. You see, for anybody else to be born again, Jesus chose to be the first, so that in all things he may have preeminence. No one will ever experience anything on this planet that Jesus has not already experienced. That's why it said he was tempted in. God, you just, this is too much. I'm going out. This is too much for me. I didn't. No, no, hang on. You're not the first. I said you're not the first. It doesn't make it any easier, I know. But the point is, Jesus was tempted in it. And he was over to, able to overcome. Well, that's easy for Jesus. I mean, he's God. No, he chose to do it by the word. He was teaching us something. That in all things he may have preeminence. And in that death, he then rose from death to life. Resurrected to eternal life. So that he may have preeminence. Now, he was made to be sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God. Wow. So we're not made righteous by our actions. 
Same as Jesus wasn't made sin by his son. He never sinned. Yet God considered him as me on that cross. Why? So that when me died, I could be born again. So when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he sees Alan. When he looks at Alan, he sees Jesus. Oh, come on, you got to give Jesus praise. I, uh, that's his gift. There's no way you can earn that. There's no matter, you don't matter how good you are. That is a free gift from God. Come on, give Jesus praise if you can get a hold of that. Have a look at John chapter 1, verse 10. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Family of God, the humility of our Savior, to think that he created this earth, and then he came to live in it, and never considered it robbery to be called equal with God, but yet humbled himself to be a man. And then was crucified on a cross that was cut from a tree that he created. Jesus created the tree that he would be crucified on. He, by his own words, created the steel that would make the nails. By his wisdom, revealed in the heart of a man how to make a hammer that would drive those nails into his hands. He set the whole stage up for himself. No wonder when he was dying on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. He set it up so that he would be crucified. Oh, come on, you've got to give your Jesus praise. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. But <laughs> as many as have received him. Let me see, how many of you have received this Jesus? Listen to this. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the natural, nor of the will of the flesh, not of this natural three-dimensional world, nor of the will of man, not just because your father and mother decided, but you were born of God. Say this, I have received Jesus and I have been born of God. Born of God. Born of God. Born of this eternal God. Your spirit man that's born again is born of the eternal Spirit of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Manifest means brought into the natural realm. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
See, Jesus came to endorse the word that he is so that your hope is in God. Faith is the substance of things. That hope is the foundation. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word is designed for to set before you a hope endorsed by Jesus as the word so that you can start trusting that word, receive that word. If God said it, I have it. And as you do that, as you believe, having believed, I speak. That's the spirit of faith. Now faith rises up and that's the faith that pleases God. Hallelujah. Everybody say first. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead as an, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Praise God that Jesus chose, even though he was eternal and is eternal, even though he was God and is God, even though he was in glory and has always been for all of eternity, chose to become a man. Why? So that just the same way through man came death, that through him also comes the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. Now, he has also sometimes a misunderstanding that people think, well, if Adam's sin all died, well, if Jesus paid the price, that means everybody lives. That's kind of how they read that. Then it doesn't matter whether you serve Jesus or not, because all is all. No, it says all, even so, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Those that are in Christ, all, shall, all those in Christ shall be made alive. Say that, in Christ, I am made alive. Verse 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, that he may have preeminence, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Hallelujah. Say this, I'm born again, because Jesus did it first. He paid the price for my life. Revelation chapter 1. And have a look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn. So if he's the firstborn from the dead, means he was dead. He didn't stop being God. This is where people misunderstand it. He always is God, always was God. He did it for you, but he paid the price for you. And he's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Hallelujah. In the beginning, Jesus. Family, let's keep Jesus the center and the focus of everything we do. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't even exist. Very often, I start my prayers so that I get my heart right. 
I start to honor him. I say, Father, you are God. You are the creator of all things. And then I'll say this. You are the creator. I am your creation. I want to make sure my heart knows where I am. Never, never, never am I going to become arrogant. And then in my next statement, you are my father and I am your son. Now I've been born again. And Jesus prayed and he said, let them experience the same glory I have with you. Hallelujah. Family of God, Jesus did it for you. He could have stayed up in heaven. Well, man messed up. Well, let's just, you know, move on. No, in that, he chose to come down and enter into his own creation so that he could reach you no matter where you are, no matter what has happened. I don't care how big a sin someone may think they've committed. I don't see how God could ever take me back. The point is, he was tempted in that exact thing and he paid the price and he was made to be that sin. Why should we carry on walking with that sin anymore? If he took it, let it be. He paid the price and the fact that he rose up as the firstborn out of that. Think, think about, yeah, thank you, Jesus, I hear that. Think about this. You as one individual, how many people exist on the planet? Seven billion heading for eight, and this in those that are already in heaven and hell as well. How many people? And you commit one sin or few, even a lifetime of sin. You think God can't save that? Whereas Jesus, who was made sin with every sin that has ever existed, which is every human, package every human sin, think of the worst sinners. Vile, evil men. It was all piled into Jesus. And in paying the full price, he could still be born from that death back into life. That's God's total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. There's nothing left to forgive except when you say, Lord, I receive that. And the moment you do... Your spirit is born again. Oh, come on. Give Jesus praise if you've got a hold of that. Come, let's stand together. I tell you, family, you do not want to miss tonight. I, I, I've got more to share around this. We have to wrap up because we've got another bunch waiting outside now. But there is so much more I want to share with you around this awesome Jesus of ours. Tonight, we're going to dig into that. Do not miss it. Amen. Lift your hand and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, I love you. You have given me your word. Jesus, you are that word. Today, I receive that word. I receive you. Thank you. Thank you. You gave me your life. You took my son. You are that living word for eternity, from eternity to eternity. The eternal Son of God, the Word of God. And I trust you. I believe your word. You gave your word. You endorsed your word. You've given your word to me. I trust your word. And I know I can walk confidently in your word.
I give you glory. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my Creator. I am your creation. You are my Father. I am your Son. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise God.